0: Abgenommen, <laughs> oh, uh, uh,
1: bedauert. <Witcher> <heal> from the worlds of speculative fiction. This is Michael Hansen with a MindWeb story that comes from the collection edited by Judith Merrill. England swings SF stories of speculative fiction. This is The Run by Chris Priest. As he left the base, Senator Robbins heard the alarm begin its screaming warning. For most of the morning, he would toured the base with the Pan-Asians agitating and an election due, he couldn't afford to substantiate his anti-pacifistic claims with anything less than a well-publicized tour. Behind his car, he could see the vid crews piling their equipment into their transports. He drove at a leisurely pace towards the main gate and its attendant barrage of security checks. These days, driving was the only way he could relax. He scorned the idea of a chauffeur. The security was suspiciously officious. He'd half expected them to let him through with the most cursory of examinations, but they insisted on a complete checkover of his identifications. These fact-finding tours stirred up the military after all. As he left the security lodge and approached the main gates, the last of the rockets fired. And that was something he'd investigated today. The constant total readiness practices cost more than they were perhaps worth. He made a mental note to get his secretary to prepare a report. The rocket was the usual manned sort, a sliver of dusty metal scarcely visible in the overcast. It disappeared quickly, its afterglow illuminating a small patch of the clouds. Through the thick plastic of his car's body, Robbins could feel the sonic throb of the rocket's huge motors. He turned out of the base onto the gray slip road that led to the major freeway. As his car accelerated silently along the aluminum strip, another flight of rockets, presumably from some other nearby base, swept overhead. They were flying low these days. The new defense pattern had been told about A wash of noise seemed to make his car shake on its plates. He closed the windows and turned the air conditioner full up. He came eventually to the freeway and followed the filter strip onto its width. It looked like a photograph Robbins had seen once of one of the old railway marshaling yards. Tracks crossed and recrossed, merged and divided. He filtered until he was in the medium fast lane and pushed the speed up to the maximum allowed. He leaned forward against the restraint of his safety webbing and raised his secretary on the call kit. Anderson, Robbins here. His secretary's voice came through, sounding strained. Boss, get back in here as quick as you can. Big trouble. What is it? What's going on? Can you tell me over the line? Code E, boss. Code E. The kid went dead. His secretary had switched off. He made to recall him and then stopped. Anderson never acted like that unless something was seriously wrong. He'd worked out a private series with Anderson on and the trouble with the Pan-Asian. Code E was national scale. That was all. He drove on, his mind working hard. Overhead, another low flight of silver rockets added weight to his forebodings. Five kilometers up the freeway, Robbins took another filter strip and followed it as it wound into a minor sidetrack. His speed dropped away, compensating for the sharper bends he'd encountered. He caught a glimpse of the Sessions Hall a bleak modern building soaring into the sky over the surrounding forest. Decentralized government seemed fruitless when housed in a building as prominent as that, or perhaps there was something more subtle about it, something he hadn't realized. The track began to climb a little, and the trees became thicker along its side. Very soon he came to the junction, a single track dipping down through the trees, losing itself between wooded banks. He approached the turning carefully, waiting for the signal to flash green. The pole barrier raised itself automatically and his car slipped through. He switched off the identifying beam and behind him the pole dropped back into place. He accelerated quickly, impatient to get back to his office. Anderson's cryptic message meant war at worst, crisis at best. Either way, he needed to be at hand. The government's foreign policy, in Robin's opinion, was flaccid. It listened to public opinion too much and varied with the currency of popular ideals. The pacifists had had their way now for seven years, allowing the Pan-Asians to infiltrate every civilized country they'd bordered on. The time had come to show a little strength, pull a few triggers, push a few buttons. They'd give way soon enough, shown a few strong-arm tactics. Robbins found he'd unconsciously pushed his speed too far and he let it drop away a little. This was low speed strip, not stressed for fast cornering. Ahead of him, the aluminum track wound over the undulating countryside. About two kilometers ahead, it disappeared around the sharp turn at Packers Mill. A movement caught his eye. He saw a human figure for a brief moment disappearing behind one of the many trees. He looked again at the spot, then saw the youth. He was a thin fellow, dressed in a drab gray coverall, long hair flopping over his face behind him, standing amongst the trees. The Senator could see many others dressed identically. What were they doing in the forest? It was supposed to be patrol from the air, warning off any strays. They were probably part of a gang of Juvies. Robbins had heard that several had been seen in the vicinity lately. He looked on the other side of the track and noted with a sudden, unaccountable twinge that there were many on that side, too. Instinctively, he slowed the car a little, hesitating. As he did so, several of the Juvies levered themselves away from the trees they were leaning against and walked purposefully towards the track. Robbins drove on cautiously. He began to see more and more youth, some of them clustering in bunches near the track. As he passed one of these bunches, a juvie spat deliberately at the car's spittle splaying across the windscreen. The first trace of real alarm nudged at Robin's mind, and he looked into his rearview screen. The track behind him was crowded, juvies walking easily along behind him. Some of the youths were running as if trying to pace the car. He increased his speed again a little nervously. The car surged forward, its blunt nose thrusting as the lineal plates increased their field, hugging the aluminum strip. On either side of the track, the numbers grew. Most of the juvies just watched, but some of them, the younger ones Robbins guessed, some of them were shouting insults and waving sticks. The track before him streamed away in a gray curve of dull ribbon disappearing around Packers. At the bend, Robbins could see a crowd of the youths looking towards his car expectantly. There must be a hundred in that part alone, he guessed. The little knot of alarm had grown inside him, swollen by an unreasoned certainty that they had been waiting for him. He found he was still accelerating and glanced at his speed meter It showed 120 kilometers per hour and rising. Another look at the screen showed him more juvies climbing down behind him. He looked around. Everywhere, it seemed, he could see the drably-dressed youths flowing onto the track. His car shot silently towards the bend at Packer's. Standing out like a promontory, the tree-lined bank convexed down to the edge of the track, bearing its cargo of young humanity jeering and cheering as the senator plowed down towards them. He was going too fast for the bend. He'd have to slow. He jabbed at his reverse flow and the speed dropped away a little. The cheering rose as his momentum died, and the juvies pressed nearer to the track. He went into the corner too fast. He grappled with the emergency braking, fighting against the violent shuttering that tore through the cabin, bucking and pitching the plates ground against the strip, threatening to leave their guides. As he came out of the bend, something metallic and heavy crashed against the roof of the cabin. A roar of approval came from the perilously balanced crowd of juvies. In his screen, he saw a great iron girder roll against the aluminum strip. And then he was round the corner. His car righted itself immediately, its gyro holding it level again. Ahead, the track was empty, straight and true. It ran for a full kilometer, slipping gently down the long incline. Dead ahead, he could see the tall shape of the session's hall, standing like a beacon on the horizon. A strange flash caught his eye. Then another... Twin streaks of flame shot upwards from near the base of the hall and lost themselves in the cloud. Two more followed them, and Robbins realized what they were. The anti-missile site, unmanned and fully automatic, was being brought against something. It very much looked as if the Senator's worst fears were justified. Immediately, it was all the more imperative that he get back to the hall. He looked into his rearview screen. Behind him, the bend was crowded with juvies. They were making no attempt to follow him, evidently preferring to watch his progress. He checked his speed and saw that he had almost halted. What had happened there? Had they been trying to kill him on the corner? It seemed unlikely. From what little he knew of juvie habits, the senator was certain that whatever they did, they would make sure would work and with the biggest gang he'd ever seen or heard of, he would expect something a little more positive than terror tactics. He sweated at the thought. If that was so, then they hadn't finished with him yet. He craned forward against the restraining pull of his safety webbing. At the end of the slope, he caught a movement. Even as he watched, hundreds of juvies wormed out of the trees. Pushing and jostling, they fought for position along the edge of the track. There was nothing orderly about their movement. It was as if they'd been released from the stockade all at once. They fought and shoved, several of them stumbling onto the track and over the aluminum strip. With horror, Robin saw that those that fell stayed there, making no effort to move. Many more were throwing themselves against the strip, deliberately placing their bodies in his path. Torn with indecision, he looked desperately around. What were they doing? Did they want to kill themselves? An idea struck him, and he reached across for the call kit. As he waited for a reply, he saw that the juvies by the corner were walking down towards him. The leaders, five rangy youths in ill-fitting overalls, were near the car, and he could see now that they were carrying weapons. He turned back to the call kit and held his finger down on the button. No reply. What the hell was going on? Then he remembered the girder that had hit the roof. It must have damaged the aerial. There was a crash and his rear window starred into opacity. His screen showed some of the youths throwing stones. He'd have to move. Reluctantly, he started the car moving again down the slope towards the others. A great cheer rose as he began to move a taunting ovation of derision and scorn. It died away to be replaced by a chant, an insidious and growing beat, a pounding, groaning, throbbing drum of voices frightening and stimulating. The mocking hymn grew and grew, and suddenly he caught the words. At last he understood what the whole thing was about. The chant was one word, one whose semantic roots lay far into the past, whose meaning had grown and swollen with the years, and one that now meant a semi-religious cult of suicidal magnitude. And all around, Senator Robbins, the whole world shouted the word, Chicken, chicken, they screamed. Chicken, 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 chicken. And this was a run. The full implication struck Robbins as his car reached the 50 kph mark. He had unwittingly let himself in for a run, something that only happened to other people. He allowed his speed to build up a little more. His mind worked frantically. What was he going to do? Rather, what could he do? There seemed little choice. Behind him was a hard knot of juvies running now, he could see. Ahead of him, the pressing mob had overflown right onto the track, the aluminum strip flying into their bodies like a gray arrow. All along the track, the juvies stared at his car, watching defiantly as he accelerated towards them. Robin's fear suddenly evaporated, to be replaced by a strident wave of anger These damn juvies couldn't push him around. Besotted with drugs, drunk with unwanted power, these unemployed and unemployable delinquents thought they ruled the earth. Thought? That was ironic. Robbins reflected as he encouraged more and more speed out of his car. They practically did rule some parts of the country. He shuddered as he thought of a world ruled by aging louts, the ignorant and cowardly, the weak-minded... Strong bodied. Every year's new unemployment figures added millions to their ranks. Another flash on the horizon worried the corner of his vision. Somewhere, in another world, it seemed, a war had started. He glanced at his speed meter and saw that he still had plenty of speed in hand. He wasn't far from the nearest Juvies, and he began to imagine that he could see their faces. In fact, All he could see was a blur of white and brown, an untidy heap of humanity testing their bravery against his. He held his speed at a steady 100 and braced himself, nearer, ever nearer. All around him the chanting screamed and throbbed, urging and pushing him to hold his speed. What was he doing? What was there to prove? He wasn't a coward. He knew that. Why did he have to test himself in front of these morons? There was no bravery in throwing a ton of plastic and steel at a mountain of human bodies mangling and maiming killing to prove himself. He wasn't a juvie. He wasn't ruled by any mob. He was a civilized person in a civilized community, a respected person in a position of trust. He was a senator and had the faith of 20,000 voters behind him, trusting his dignity and discretion. And most important, he was human. It was abhorrent to his very nature to kill for its own sake, to plow through a hundred bodies destroying life and making it a pleasure. He was a hundred meters from the mound of juvies. The chanting throbbed into his consciousness, exciting and stimulating him, beating like the jungle drums of primitive peoples. It seemed to get faster and faster in crescendo of hate mounting and spiraling as he sped ever closer. He could see their faces now, pink and white and gray, all of them staring fixedly at his car waiting for him to break. He could see their mouths opening and closing as they chanted. They'd never break. There were too many of them. They'd sit there until he killed them all. sit there watching him, watching as he rammed them. He made his decision, grabbed the emergency brake and applied full reverse thrust. He slammed forward into the webbing of straps, seeming to hang there as the great plates fought against the momentum. No scream of brakes, no squeal of rubber. A silent, steady, remorseless pull of power acting like a barrier of unyielding cotton wool. He felt as if he hung there for an eternity. His reactions nil, eyes blinded by a sudden fireball. And then he was free. He slumped into a seat as the car stopped, a bare meter from the nearest juvie. He lolled forward, sliding down inside the straps, eyes still blind from the sun-white glare. Outside, a hot wind blew, and a great hand lifted his car. There was a terrible silence when he came round. The first thing he saw was his watch, still ticking and apparently undamaged. He'd been unconscious only a few minutes. There was something wrong with his vision, as if he were seeing everything through a maze of retinal shadow. He moved experimentally. There was a pain in his side, but nothing else seemed to be damaged. Automatically, he reached for the webbing release and freed himself. The car, with most of its windows smashed, was lying on its side a long way from the track. He climbed up through what had been the windscreen, treading cautiously in the broken remains of the controls. Outside, there was Inferno. The Sessions Hall had vanished, replaced instead by a great trunk of cloud. On all sides, the trees had been flattened and stripped of their leaves. Many were burning their smoke, adding to the desolate cloud of nuclear release. And all around the bodies of the juvies lay. All had been burned. All were now dead. Robin stood there for a long time. Presently, he began to cough, and blood trickled through his lips. He turned his back on what had once been the hall and walked erratically up the way he had come so recently. Overhead, a low flight of yellow rockets skimmed away from the black cloud. The Run, a story written by Chris Priest. It comes from an anthology edited by Judith Merrill titled England Swings, SF. I'm Michael Hansen, technical operation for this program by Dan Schmidt. MindWebs is a production of WHA Radio in Madison, a service of University of Wisconsin Extension.